you have a Bible with you this morning, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 11. You can also find the text in your order of worship, or you can use uh, your iPad or your phone or any other TSA-approved device. And uh, as I say, do you hear the word of God, starting at verse 45 of chapter 11? One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute. So that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged to this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You do not enter yourselves and you hindered those who were coming, entering. And as he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and provoke him to speak about many things lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that you would um, you would come and you would, you would bring conviction, conviction of sin, conviction of where we are not, and uh, following you uh, as we are. But I also pray that you would bring grace and mercy. Um, I pray that you would you would open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come with great power and great glory, even during this time. Father, I pray that you'd be in my head and in my thinking and in my heart and in my understanding and in my mouth and in my speaking. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen and amen. You know, something happened this morning. Um... That is there only for illustration purposes, by the way, okay? This morning, you know, I couldn't sleep last night very well, and so I got up extra early, and so I got up, and, you know, it's 5 o'clock, took the dog out and got the newspaper, and I sat down and I started reading an article about uh, people who didn't, weren't able to get their tickets for the Super Bowl today. And, you know, and you flip... I don't, even have, I don't even know how to read a newspaper hardly anymore because it says CA6 and I'm, I'm debating whether or not I, w- I want to waste the energy to turn the page. I did. And, and I sat there and I was pretty incredulous because basically the story was about, it started with two guys who had paid uh, $1,500 or so to, to get tickets and they went to Arizona and they didn't have them. And then it went, by the end of the article, it was making the point that online, not the illegal scalpers, but online, tickets are now $10,000 a piece. And people were paying it. And my first thought was like, what kind of idiot would pay $10,000 for a Super Bowl ticket? And I just was, I went on this internal rant about how whatever you can do. And then I caught myself. I thought, well, you know, Tommy, if you were like filthy rich... And you didn't have to work on Sunday. You might pay $10,000 for a ticket. You might take your family. You might charter a jet. In other words, I'm a hypocrite. Remember how fun last week was? If you were here last week, we talked about hypocrisy. We talked about uh, the, the Jesus giving woes to the Pharisees and the scribes. Well, we've got another one. That's why it's part two 
this week. You see, remember last week we started talking about hypocrisy. If you remember what hypocrisy is, it's basically that what's on the inside of you doesn't match what's on the outside of you. That, 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 that the face you put onto the world is not the face that is inside. And remember, ask this question. The question was, are you as good on the inside as you appear to be on the outside? Or you, are you as good on the inside as you want people to think you are on the outside? And right, if you're, if you're an honest person, which most of you are, um, you, you'd have to say, no, I'm not as good on the inside as I appear on the outside. Today we're going to take it a different direction because last week that's the, sort of the question that was introduced. Remember Jesus said, let me read you what he said to the Pharisees. He said the Pharisee was astonished to see that Jesus did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him in verse 39, by the way, he says, now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. And so that's the question from last week. Are you the, are you, does the inside match the outside? The question this week is a little different. How do you react when you're called on your hypocrisy? And I use the word react on purpose there. In other words, I first wrote, how do you respond when you're called on your hypocrisy? But almost no one responds to being called on their hypocrisy. Because response requires thought. It requires sort of being thoughtful and thinking through things. Most of us, when we're called on our hypocrisy, we react. And the question is, how do you react? What does it mean to be called on your hypocrisy? Uh, you, you know, maybe, maybe there's the off chance that you're a father and you tend to leave things laying all around the house. And then you get upset with your kids about leaving stuff around the house. And then your kids say, well, you do it. How do you respond? I know a hypothetical father who does not respond very well to that. In fact, he doesn't respond at all. He reacts. And the same thing when, when, when you're a parent calling your children. If you're a kid and your parents call you on your hypocrisy, how do you, how do you react? Is it ever positive? Thank you for pointing out my hypocrisy. It shows me how much you love me when you point out how wrong I am and, and yet how right you are. Thank you so much. You see, last week we started talking about hypocrisy. Jesus, remember the scenario is Jesus has just preached uh, the sign of Jonah. He said that this generation will get no more signs than the Pharisees invite him to dinner. And as they invite him to dinner, um, Jesus doesn't wash his hands and they get sort of like a little bit up in arms about that. And Jesus sees their response and he begins to talk them through all of their hypocrisy. There are two groups of people in the room here, by the way. Um, the Pharisees and the scribes, which I have another slide in a minute. I forgot about this one. Remember the, the, the uh, hypocrisy that Jesus pointed out with regard to the Pharisees last week. Well, the ones he pointed out, remember he basically said there were basically three different ways that they were hypocrites. The first one was that he said that, um, woe to you Pharisees. He says that, well, the first one was about the fact they clean the inside versus the outside. And then verse 42, woe to you, you tithe mint and rue of every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. In other words, they major on minor things and they minor on major things. And then the next one he said, you love the best seats in the synagogues and greet in marketplaces. And we talked about the fact that if you crave recognition for your spiritual accomplishments, you're probably a hypocrite. And then finally he told the Pharisees, he says, what do you, you're like unmarked graves. In other words, you're spiritually dead and people don't know it. 
and you probably don't know it either. And so we ask those questions of ourselves, right? Do, am I a person who majors on the majors, or majors on the minors versus majoring on the majors and vice versa? Am I a person that craves spiritual recognition? Am I a person who is spiritually dead? In other words, do I know Jesus at all? And remember, there was hope as well. Because Jesus came and majored on the majors and majored on the minors on our behalf and lived the life we should have lived, died the death we should have died, and gives us all the recognition that we need. In fact, if you trust Jesus, you're given the righteousness of Christ. You're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And remember, hypocrisy is basically from the Greek theater, which means putting a mask on. And I ask you the question toward the end of the sermon last week, if you are wearing the most beautiful thing in the world, why would you want to put a mask on top of it? In other words, you're, you don't need to be a hypocrite because you, if, you, if you're a Christian at least, you're as righteous as Jesus is right now. You just need, sort of need to own it and start being who you are. And so what's interesting in this text, as opposed to there's Matthew 23, Jesus also has these woes to the scribes and Pharisees, is here he, sort of, sort, he, he gives woes, certain woes to the Pharisees and certain woes to the scribes. And what is the difference between a Pharisee and a scribe or, or a Pharisee and a lawyer? The word scribe and lawyer, you'll hear me use uh, synonymously. So what is the difference between a, a scribe or a Pharisee and a lawyer or a Pharisee and a scribe? It's just this. It's that all lawyers are Pharisees, in this, certainly in this context, but not all Pharisees are lawyers. That makes sense? It's sort of like saying all, 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 we have a few lawyers in our church who are members, and it's like saying all the lawyers in our church are Presbyterians, but not all the Presbyterians in our church are lawyers. Right. So in other words, the Pharisees and the scribes are there, and they're all sort of Pharisees. They're all in the same political party or the same religious party, but some of them have the responsibility to write and interpret the law. In fact, it was the job of the scribes to, to interpret the law for Israel. And notice what Jesus says in verse, 40, in verse 45, what happens. It says, one of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. What does he mean by that? In other words, the Pharisees and the scribes are there. Jesus has just given these three woes. And he says, woe to you Pharisees, woe to you Pharisees, woe to you Pharisees. Why would the scribes also be offended? Well, number one, it's because they were also Pharisees. But secondly, it's because the practice that Jesus was critiquing was written by them. In other words, I was trying to think through some way to get this. Imagine you go to someone's house, they invite you to dinner, and they say, Tommy, I'm going to make this, this, we made this cake for you. I made the cake, but Joe here wrote the recipe. And if the cake is just burnt, I can say, well, you really messed up the cake. But if the cake looks good on the outside, but when I taste it, is the most disgusting, nasty thing I ever had in my life? And they say, what do you think? Which is a horrible thing to say to me. What do you think? This is nasty. Well, who would be offended by that? It wouldn't just be the person who attempted to make the recipe, but if the person who invented the recipe was there, he also would be offended because he said, I'm the one who came up with that cake. I thought it was great. It wasn't. That's what the difference between the scribes and Pharisees, certainly in this text, is. And that's why the scribe says, by insulting them, you're insulting us. Basically, because we wrote the laws. All, all of these minute details, we're the ones who wrote them. Now, the great irony to all of this was that the job of the scribes was to make life easier for Israel, not harder. Right? God gives these laws, and some of them are, are, are a bit obtuse, 
And it was the job of the scribes to study it and to tell Israel to help people understand how they could obey it better. And instead of helping people understand how to obey it better, they actually made it worse. And so Jesus is going to critique them more as the, the ones who have written the, the commentary on the law and the ones who are telling people, here's the way you need to obey the law, as opposed to just people who have practiced and people who are self-righteous. These guys are actually the authors of self-righteousness at some level. So much like we, um, last week, we looked at um, all these, you know, I'm a hypocrite when, we're going to look at three more of those, I'm, I'm a hypocrite when, three times. And the first thing we're going to look at this morning is that we can say, I'm a hypocrite when I have higher standards for others than I have for myself. Okay, so for example, verse 46, he says, and he said, woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Okay, so Jesus says to them, you, you know, imagine the average Joe is trying to be a, a, a good Jew and he wants to obey the law and he wants to do all the right things. And you have these guys who are saying, well, if you want to do the right thing, you've also got to do A, B, C, D, and E. And more. And Jesus says that you take God's law and you, you load people down with burdens. And this, the, the language here is like the, what you would use for cargo on a ship. You just pile things upon people. On one hand, that you're unwilling to do yourself. On the other hand, you're not willing to help once you do uh, pile things onto people. So, for example, remember last week we, we had fun with the Mishnah. Let's have a little fun this week. Um, so, here's one example of what the lawyer said about carrying something on the Sabbath. Okay? Simple as that. You need to carry something, a pot or a loaf of bread on the Sabbath day. And they said... A man may not carry an object in his right hand or in his left hand, in his bosom or on his shoulder. However, he may carry it on the back of his hand or with his foot or with his mouth or with his elbow or in his ear or in his hair or in his wallet, carried mouth downwards and between his wallet and his shirt or in the hem of his shirt or in the shoe or in his sandal. Cool? What's the problem with that? Right? The law is to, to obey the Sabbath and, and do not labor on the Sabbath. And so they wrote this very complicated uh, commentary that said, as long as you don't carry something with your hands, that wouldn't be considered labor. And you almost had to be a lawyer. In fact, you did have to be a lawyer to even know whether or not you were violating the law. Imagine, uh, imagine this. Can you imagine a worse thing than this? It'd be the Internal Revenue Service Study Bible. And it would be about six feet thick. Because every single word would be parsed 20 different ways. And the only way you would be able to do it is to take it to a very good tax lawyer. It was the same with them. So if you're an average Jew, there's, there's a sense in which you had no hope whatsoever of, of being obedient. At least according to what the scribes said. Because the scribes, instead of actually helping people get closer to God, they showed them all the different ways they could offend God. Never how they could please God. And they had higher standards for others than they had for themselves. You know, here's the great thing about being a scribe. If you were a scribe, you knew all the loopholes. So a scribe could carry things anytime he wanted to because he knew all the loopholes to the law. Now, the great irony of the thing is God's not really begging the loopholes. Jesus, in this case, is into integrity. He's, he's contra or he's against hypocrisy. And you're a hypocrite. I am a hypocrite if I have higher standards for other people 
than I have for myself. Does that ever happen with you? Do you ever hold other people to a higher standard than you hold yourself to? I was trying to think of things this morning. Do you expect, do you expect someone else to be forgiving and gracious, but you yourself are unwilling to be forgiving and gracious? Do you expect someone else to, to, be, to, to reconcile with you, right? They know I'm offended, as opposed to you reconciling with them. Do you leave your stuff all over the floor and then yell at your kids for leaving stuff all over the floor? I mean, it just never, ever ends. And the question is, are you a hypocrite here? If you're a hypocrite, that's bad news. Unless you understand the gospel. Because what Jesus did was come. Notice it says about, the first, what it says about them. There, there are two ways to read this text in verse 46. He says, you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. You can either read it that they're, they're not willing to lift the burdens. In other words, they, they use loopholes, or they don't help anybody. In other words, they just lay out the law and then say, you need to get with the program. They don't, they don't actually enter into the suffering of other people. They don't enter into to helping the people obey these very complex laws that they have written. Jesus, on the other hand, is just the opposite. Does Jesus have a higher standard than you do? I guarantee you he does. And does Jesus meet his own standard? Absolutely. Does Jesus expect you to meet his standard? Absolutely. He also knows that you can't. That in and of yourself, you are a miserable failure and you will never rise above your own hypocrisy. It just won't happen. I mean, if you're not a Christian and you've said before that Christians are hypocrites, really? Have you thought about yourself lately? Here's the good news of the gospel. The, the gospel is not only for the righteous, it is for hypocrites, and maybe especially hypocrites. It's people who, who suddenly realize their hypocrisy and realize that Jesus, I'm called to meet the standard that I can't meet myself, but I realize that Jesus has met it for me. So Jesus is not only uh, willing to do that which he has asked us to do, in other words, Jesus has asked us to meet this standard, and we can't, but he's willing to do it. He's also willing to help us meet that standard. Right? Is that how we are? Is that how you are? Do you look to Jesus that way? I remember when I was in the army, uh, I knew a guy who every now and then you had to really like try and get rid of somebody. And one of the ways to do that out of our unit was to just make them do physical exercise until they were, would quit. Well, I knew a guy who was so crazy, he would actually do it with them until they quit. But he wouldn't lower the standard, and he couldn't be called a hypocrite. And eventually they would, would quit. Jesus is basically saying this, I will never quit even though you do. I meet all the standards, and even when you quit, even when you can't make it anymore, Jesus is there also to help, both by his promise and by his Holy Spirit. So Jesus looks at them and says, you guys won't even, you, you load people down and don't help them. And, and I, on the other hand, carry their burdens for them. One of my favorite verses comes in Matthew chapter 12. Remember what Jesus says there? It, it, when you think about what he says about the, the lawyers here, it, it, it made me at least think about uh, Matthew 12 a little differently. When Jesus says to, to the crowds, come unto me, what? All you who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my burden upon you, for my yoke is light. I'm gentle and humble in heart. 
In other words, Jesus says, you don't have to bear that load anymore. And you don't have to be a hypocrite and act like you can. Right? That's the thing. The way most of us respond or react to being called on our hypocrisy with regard to, to having higher standards is just trying to raise our standards and try and be better and try and not get caught anymore. And Jesus says, just admit it, you don't make it. Admit it, you don't have what it takes. And then maybe more and more you will just not be a hypocrite naturally. He goes on to talk to them. What's the next thing he says in verse 47? He says, woe to you. He says, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers for they killed them and you build their tombs. Therefore, also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. So this next woe, you could basically say, I am a hypocrite when I say I believe in God, but rebel against his word. And the word rebel there is, is intentional. You see, what, what the, the lawyers would do is they would be the head of building committees, and the building committees would build nice tombs to, quote, honor the prophets. Right? So you could probably go to Israel. For some reason, this light is drifting up. It's still, can you turn it down a little bit? Um, at, at any rate, the uh, the prophets, they would build tombs for the prophets so that people could, could make pilgrimages there and honor the prophets and things like that. That's what Jesus is talking about here. So they, in other words, they, they literally built the tombs of the prophets. But what Jesus says to them, he says, you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed so you're witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers for they killed them and you build their tombs. In other words, Jesus is saying to them, you're no better than your fathers. Your fathers killed the prophets, and you're just like them. Right? They killed every prophet from A to Z, from Abel to Zechariah, was killed. They all reacted very negatively to the prophets. And Jesus says, in the wisdom of God, he says, now he's going to send even more apostles and prophets. And you will reject them as well. And notice what he says. It's an interesting uh, language. He says, the blood of, of, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished on the, between the altar and the sanctuary, yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Why is this generation, the, the one Jesus is talking to, going to be responsible for all the blood of all the prophets who have come before? That seems a little harsh, doesn't it? Think about it this way. Imagine all the prophets that came before from Abel to Zechariah. Imagine that they were sort of like a, a midterm exam for people. That they came and they told people of the Messiah who would come. They told people about uh, God wanting them to repent and obey him. And it was sort of like a midterm. And in that midterm, some people got it completely. Some, some people obeyed and, and got it. And most people reacted very negatively. And they killed that prophet over and over and over again so so the midterm the prophets came for the midterm exam and they were killed and i think the reason that jesus is saying you this generation here will be responsible for the blood of all the prophets who came before because all those prophets were pointing toward me and i am the answer key in other words jesus comes he's the final exam but he's also the answer key if you understand the gospel, you can't fail this exam, by the way. 
Because you realize that Jesus is the key. And yet, these lawyers plotted to kill him and ultimately would kill him. That So they're guilty of the blood of all the prophets because they killed the prophet to whom all the rest of the prophets pointed. Jesus himself. He was the one. He was the answer key right in their midst and they wouldn't believe him either. Which is really ironic because the job of the scribes was to interpret the law for people. And remember in John chapter 5, Jesus was having an argument with scribes. And they basically said, who do you think you are? We don't listen to people like you. We listen to people like Moses. And Jesus said, well, then someday Moses is going to be your accuser. Why, pray tell? Because Moses was writing about me. All of the, the prophets beforehand, they, sh- they pointed to Jesus. And if you're a good scribe and you really know your Bible, they should have known that. They should have gotten that. But that leads to the last woe. They didn't get it. Instead of getting it, they actually killed Jesus. Instead of honoring God by obeying him, or or instead of honoring God by building tombs for the prophets, they should have honored God by obeying the prophets. And that takes you to the last woe. And what is the last woe? The last woe says, Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You do not enter yourselves, and you hinder those who were entering. So this... This point basically says, I am a hypocrite when I say I believe in Jesus, but make no effort to help others know him too, or even worse, my words and actions hinder them. Okay? You're a hypocrite. If, if you say that you know Jesus, if you say you believe in Jesus, but you don't help other people to know who he is, or worse than that, your actions actually hinder them from knowing him. Let me read to you what the text says again. He says, Woe to you, lords, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. So in other words, if the scribes really understood the Old Testament, if they really understood the prophets, they would have realized that Jesus is the key. He is the key to entering the kingdom of heaven. Remember Jesus says in John 14, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I am the door, or I am the gate. You see, the Pharisees, or the scribes here, should have also been gates that enabled people to enter into the kingdom of heaven, but they, instead of being gates, they were actually walls. They didn't understand who Jesus was. Even though Jesus' whole Bible is about me, they didn't believe that, and they didn't understand that, and so since they didn't understand it, they actually discouraged other people from doing, believing in Jesus as well. And Jesus says, you, you've taken the key of knowledge away from people, and you did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. It, I read, when I read this, that verse, it reminded me of Moby Dick. The, the, there's a great uh, chapter in Moby Dick that basically is, uh, Father Mapple is the preacher's name. It's about Jonah, and it basically culminates with this line. He says, woe to him whom this world charms from his gospel duty. Woe to me that I, like the, that like the apostle Paul said of himself, that I would preach the gospel to others, but not enter myself. And Jesus is saying to the scribes here, your job was to lead people to me. And not only do you not come to me yourself, but you actually lead them away. In other words, you don't help people to, not only do you not help people to know me, but by your actions, you drive them away from me. How do we do that? Is there any way that we, Christians today, uh, do things like that? Is there any way that we actually are, are 
hypocrites because we say we know Jesus, but actually by our words and our actions, we discourage people from trusting Jesus or at least don't help them. Here's a few, I wrote down, just jotted some things down this morning. On one hand, we're, we're, when we're unclear about the gospel, we're not being helpful to people. When we add works to the gospel, most people, I know a lot of people who aren't Christians, and most of them would say, if you asked them right out, what does it mean to be a Christian? They would probably say, I got to do a lot of stuff. I just don't have what it takes. I have to look a certain way. I have to be a certain way. I come into church and everyone looks like they're all wearing the same clothes. You got a weird church, right? I mean, I can't do that. That was a Seahawks joke, by the way. When we add works, whether we say that verbally or whether we just do it by our actions, we, we keep people from, we hinder them from coming. How about when you confuse Christianity with politics? When people come to church and they think, well, what it means to be a Christian is really to be an American. Well, you know what? what the, the, there's like six and a half billion other people in the world that wouldn't really say that. And most Americans who are Christians wouldn't say that either. And so people can confuse politics with the gospel. And the biggest thing that keeps people from, from uh, embracing Jesus, whether it's because we don't tell them or because we're hindered, I think, is our hypocrisy. Simple as that. Everything that we've looked at last week and this week, people look at us and they want to know, well, like, how can I, you, you, you know, there's got to be a different way. Because I think intuitively most people know that they're not as good on the inside as they are on the outside. And so if they can't come to church and see that there is a different way, why would they come in the first place? And so the question is, how do we get to that different place? How do we move from being hypocrites to not being hypocrites? What is the hope? Remember I told you last week your hope is, is trusting in Jesus. But, but I'm going to make it even more specific today. What is our hope? So basically, we, we, I'm going to call it the choice. I told you uh, several times, you know, I've been going to, to um, this pretty high-level communication course. And if any, by the way, if anyone, any of you ever want to know, like, sort of gruesome details, and there are some pretty gruesome details, uh, um, come, just come and ask me. Make an appointment, let's go out to coffee or something. I'd be happy to tell you. But this past time that I was there, as a general rule, what they worked on all week, I think I mentioned this last week, they worked on identifying what they called your shtick and what they called your purpose. And your shtick basically is the way that you respond to fear or the way you respond to, to offense. And in other words, it's not good. Your shtick is, is, is always bad. On the other hand, you have your purpose, right? So my, my shtick was God's indignant cynic. That was the title of it. My purpose was resilient friend and shepherd. And the one cancels out the other. They just do. It was amazing. It was like magic. When I saw us do the purpose for my, my teammates, I would, I would weep every time. Because I would realize that the shtick that they do for the, this person completely cuts the legs out from under what that person really wants and what they re, who God has really made them to be. So what has that got to do with, with this? Well, I realized one of the things they drove home last week is that you have a choice. When you're interacting with people, and when I'm interacting with people, I can either interact by way of my shtick or interact by way of my purpose. You're always interacting, you're always dealing with one of those. And if I interact with my shtick, it's going to get me not what I want. It's going to destroy connection and community. If I respond according to my purpose, 
it's going to create connection and create opportunities and things like that. In fact, it was so it had so much effect on me. On the last morning of the the class, they went around and said, "Well, what is your what is your take on this?" It's, it's a secular thing, by the way. And I told them, I said, "Well, when it got to me, I said it's interesting because I thought if this is true of me, it has to be true of everyone, <coughs> everyone else in my church." And they said, "What do you mean by that?" And I said, well, when I go back, it seems like I should have the attitude that there are 500 possibilities there, right? There, there are five, unless it's a Seahawks game day, then there'll be 300. But nonetheless, um, that, there's, that there's 300 possibilities there. There's 300 people who are uniquely created in God, who have been uniquely given some purpose. And I have to choose whether I'm going to interact according to my purpose or my shtick. And maybe we can move all of us into moving according to our purpose and shtick. Because purpose begets purpose, shtick begets shtick. So where does all this have to do with hypocrisy? Well, it's just this, I think. It's that you have a choice. Every moment of every day, when, when you're confronted with things, when you deal with things, when you're walking around, when you're at work, when you're with your kids, your choice is always either hypocrisy or gospel. Simple as that. You're either, you're either living according to the righteousness that Jesus has given you, you're living according to, to, to the, the, this person that he has made you to be and created you to be and is redeeming you more and more to be, or you put on a mask. Simple as that. And so what I challenge you with this week, as you're going through this week, I, mean, I guess you challenge forever, but you know, people have short memories. I do. Um, when you catch yourself acting according to your hypocrisy, preach the gospel to yourself. Ask yourself that. Do I really trust Jesus? Do I really believe that I have the righteousness of Christ? And if I have the righteousness of Christ, I don't have to put on an external mask so people know how good I am. I don't have to worry about my body image. I don't have to worry about, you know, all these different things that, that keep us awake at night. If the gospel is true, I don't have to. And you see, because here's, here's the thing. I think it's very similar to the, the idea of your stick versus your purpose. Is that your hypocrisy actually uh, it, it undercuts the very thing that you want. Right, the very thing that you want in life, I'm guessing, the reason we're hypocrites is because we want to be accepted. We want to be loved. We want people to think we're good enough. We want people to care about us. And when you think about the gospel, what you have is you see the person of Jesus coming and living the life you should have lived and dying the death you should have died because he cares about you. And because of his work on your behalf, you are good enough. And he does care for you. And not only that, he actually will be willing to help you in this. You know, I was, I'm reading a book now, uh, it's the fifth in a, in a, in a, in a uh, critically acclaimed series on monsters, right? It's, it's a novel, and this, this one's about Frankenstein. I didn't know anything about Frankenstein. You know Frankenstein, the, the Frankenstein monster is based on a real character? Do you know that? I didn't. But basically there was a guy named uh, Jacob Conrad Dippel. 16th century theologian and alchemist. He was born in a castle named Frankenstein. And he was obsessed, apparently, with reanimating dead corpses. And so he came up with this thing called the, uh, the elixir of life. That's, I'm telling you the truth. It was made out of ground-up bones and random bodily fluids and some other things. And he failed every time. Although some said it was quite a stimulating beverage. They didn't have a lot of choice in the 16th century. 
And in this book I'm reading, it's sort of a modern day take on Frankenstein. It's that Dippel's formula actually worked on this guy. There's actually some stuff behind the scenes that are working on this guy too. But whenever he gets beat up or whenever he gets, uh, you know, really crushed and whenever he just needs to be renewed, he takes a sip of that elixir and it spreads through his body like wildfire. So on one hand, it doesn't feel good. On the other hand, it rejuvenates him and it, and it, and it revivifies him and it actually cleanses him. It's whenever he feels like he needs help, he just takes a shot of the elixir. Well, here's what you do in the gospel. We don't have the elixir of life, but we do have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's there to, to regenerate you, to, to cleanse you, to make you better, to enable you to actually follow Jesus like you say you follow Jesus. And the question is, will you do that? How are you going to respond and react this week when someone calls you on your hypocrisy? Let me read the last verses here. The last verses say, As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. You see what their reaction was. Their reaction was to kill Jesus. Their reaction was to react with their hypocrisy, not according to the truth. And they failed, unfortunately for them. Fortunately for us, their failure was our salvation. But Because by killing Jesus, they actually were part of God's plan that we might be saved from our sins. Think about that. Let's pray. Father, I just pray this morning that, um, you know, talking about hypocrisy at all isn't fun. Talking about hypocrisy two weeks in a row is definitely not fun either. I just pray um, that you'll use our, our, our thoughts about hypocrisy in order to actually draw us deeper into a relationship with Jesus, that we would not be hypocrites all the time and we look forward to that day at the end of all time when no, no, none of us will be hypocrites all will be unmasked and all will be seen in Jesus name we pray these things amen and amen